Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Paper Kings, Part 6. I'm looking for a king who will give me glory. Recorded Sunday, July 10th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Now in today's uh, message, I'm just going to ask you some questions, and they all come from where we're headed with Jesus in this passage. And, and here's the first question. If you could ask God to do anything for you today, what would it be? That's a good question, I think. What would you ask God for? If You know, if you could ask him for anything. When I accepted the call to Third City back in 1993, oh, that's a long time ago, I, I did ask God to do something. I'd, I'd met this group of people, and they'd invited Jackie and I in to to serve here, and, and man, I just thought, this is really a, already a wonderful group of people. Uh, they'd been together for 25 years, uh, serving him. They were unbelievably gifted in people. I, uh, to be honest, I mean, the men were pretty talented. The women here were over-the-top gifted and were serving the Lord in some big ways. I thought there was a woo factor in this church even then that was kind of amazing. And a couple years after we came, uh, we had a leadership retreat. At that point, it was elders and two staff members, only two staff members, of which I was one of those. And we, we, we went to our knees in that retreat, and we just said, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want from us? And uh, that prayer resulted in a vision, a grander vision for an already, I thought, really good church. Um, that God would do something remarkable, something transformational. And out of that retreat came a, a slogan or a vision, if you will, and it was 1,000 by 2,000. So this was 1995, in five years to become an operating congregation of about 1,000 people, which was a big deal because we were nowhere near that. But that vision was a catalyst for change, and it meant we would have to change the way we think as a church because we were a small church. We had to start thinking like larger churches think. It meant we'd have to refine our organizational structure, our staffing, our facilities. We moved because of that vision. We moved. Our approach to church services and the way we do church had to change. So we left that meeting with a vision and a slogan. And with all vision casting moments, there's excitement at the outset and then Monday comes, and you're like, what are we gonna, what have we done, and what are we gonna do to reach this grand goal to become a beacon of hope in our community? And you know what? You can look back and just see it clearly. He answered. Like, he's the one who did the, the incredible. Thousands of people who have come to Jesus because a few people back then said, we're not going to settle for anything less than being a soul-reaching church in our community. Many, many people who give of their time and their talent and generously of their treasures to see that his kingdom move forward. You see it all the time here. Millions and millions of dollars generously given to fund missions far and wide and even right here. I was talking to a man during our middle of our last two services, his small group just did a, 
a service event down at Crossroads Mission. He said, man, it's just so good to serve. Love hearing that. Well over 20 people called and positioned in vocational ministry since that time who were serving around the world. Thousands and thousands of kids who have been moved by the good news of Jesus and who, when they leave here, we pray, will become some sort of missionary wherever God takes them. And we see that happening all the time. And what that illustrates is what today's passage shows us. When you come to the Lord and ask him to do something for his purpose, for his purpose, that's the key. His purpose. He will not fail. He will answer the call. But there's also a a warning to be found in this passage. And the warning is this. We can deceive ourselves. Our humanness can be deceptive. So let's jump right in. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus, saying, Teacher, listen to this, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Whoa, that's a little, you know. It's the question of one who believes that we're entitled to something. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? That's the question of one who believes that they should serve others. And I will say almost no one typically asks that question. We ask the first question a lot. Verse 37, they said to him, because now they're like, oh yeah, He's he's buying in. Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand the other on your left in your glory. So this is like a positional throne thing. Like, Because he'd already told them, you're all going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel and you're going to sit on thrones. And like, they're okay, we want to be in the closer ones. We want to be the... Now before we read on, let me ask you another question. Do you want to succeed? Yes or no? Me too. Like, nothing wrong with success. I mean, for success sake. Like, like, you give me a choice between success and failure, I will take success 100% of the time, no matter what. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, I don't want to be bowled over by someone else who has an agenda. I don't want to be all excited about putting in some hard work and then letting someone else get the credit for it. I just, I, I don't like that. I, I don't love it that more aggressive people think of things before I do and they succeed while I just kind of set back and then I lost. I don't like that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to succeed. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be rewarded for, for hard work and for... But, but I, I, here's the thing. They were asking Jesus for something that he'd already offered them. And that was a seat at his table. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've responded to him for salvation, you too have a seat at his table. And I've heard people say this, and I've said it myself, I, I'm just glad to be in the, in the, on, at the table. And yet, am I? Am I? Is that ever, is that always enough? I mean, I'll ask you that question I'm asking myself. Here's another detail that Matthew adds to this whole scenario that we didn't get here with Mark. 
It wasn't actually James and John who came and asked. Guess who it was? It was their mommy. Yeah, they sent mama. Jesus, would you elevate my special sons to great places in your kingdom? I mean, look at these adorable boys. They need a job. Can you, you know, how about vice president and secretary of state? It's mom. Mrs. Zebedee's asking for what little Johnny and Jimmy wouldn't. By the way, I just, hey, look, I'm, I'm not a mom. Usually, sometimes I am. But moms, just a little advice. If, if you're still inserting yourself in the future of your sons when they're 17, 18, 30 years old, stop it. Let them take initiative. Anyway, so Mrs. Zebedee, he's, she's asking for this, this, this positional thing, this proximity, this power preeminence that, that maybe that would make them a little more special, like a little closer to Jesus. Proximity. By, by the way, is it wrong to want to get closer to Jesus? No. Please do. Most of us would be better off, all of us would be better off if we get closer to Jesus. That's a good thing. The only thing is they wanted like special privileges. And that's dicey. And then there's something about the power they were seeking, right? So if you're wanting to nudge up to him, I mean, for them it was like, this guy's got major power. Let me be a part of that. Give me some of that. And by the way, Jesus had given them power already. He, they'd, they'd done things they'd, no, one, no human being on earth had ever done. Healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. They've been involved with feeding masses of people well, out of nothing. So they, they knew the power. And they wanted more. And then there's preeminence. That's when, you know, we get honor and exaltation because we're on the top tier. Like that's, you know, that's being on top looking down, right? So that's, everybody loves that, being on the, you know, in the in crowd, you know. And again, I, I, I'm not faulting them. I don't think he was faulting them, by the way. Let's read on. He said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? The simple way to put that, I think, is are you willing to pay the price for that dream that you're holding? Uh, by the way, he didn't shut them down. He didn't shame them by having this request. He didn't rail on them for their audacity. He he didn't say, oh, we don't like that kind of ambition around here. And I think their desire to be close to him, I think he probably appreciated that. I'm just speculating. It, it, they weren't really asking for the wrong thing. He just said, look, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're asking. It's not that you're asking for the wrong thing. It's just that you're clueless. You, the price this will cost... I can't even tell you because I've been trying to and you haven't been listening because there's always a price to be paid, always. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, a couple 16, 17-year-old Nebraska high school football players who are very talented, who we all want to play for the Huskers, but we'll probably go somewhere else. And in this state, as you know, talented 16-year-old football players are put on a pedestal 
even by old guys, right? One of the questions they were asked by the interviewer is how their life had changed, and I thought their answers were kind of typical and pretty fascinating, though, how, how much sacrifice that they wanted, they talked about. It wasn't like they talked about, oh, it's great, you know, we got all this, act-. it's like, that's oh, a lot of work. <laughs> like, we get up early and work out, we do all our stuff, you know, both of them, I think, are playing other sports, so that's good, I think, because they're getting a broader perspective. They said they get up early, they work out, they get all these texts all day and night from all these coaches and these fans. They're recruiting people that are trying to stay in their world. It's hard to have a social life because of the demands of our sport. There are people trying to get close to us just because we're being recruited. Both said that they no longer pay attention to social media. They can't go out to Shields or a restaurant without being asked for an autograph. And one of them then just said this, man, I'd love to play football. But this other stuff, I'm learning a lot about that. Because there's always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay. Another podcast, yeah, I listen to podcasts when I walk. A quarterbacks on the Nebraska roster were asked what they were looking forward to on their team trip to Ireland. Spontaneously, they all laughed. They said, oh, our families are going to have a great time. For us, it's just a work trip. And I'm kind of thinking, I hope it is for once. I hope it is a work trip for you guys because I want you to win. But <laughs> that's because I'm that old guy. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it costs so much. It does. Every opportunity for greatness in life comes with a cost, a price. Jesus used this brilliant illustration to tell us what it is. It's more like a forward-thinking illustration that they don't probably even get at the time. Here's what he says. Are you willing to drink from the cup that I'm drinking from and to be immersed in what I'm going to be immersed in? A cup and a baptism. A cup is like something that God hands to you. And God handed Jesus a cup, didn't he? Remember the cup he handed him? It's described as a cup. The Old Testament talks all about it. A cup of wrath, a cup of judgment, a cup of pain and agony that the cross would bring. And if you remember the night before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed specifically, Lord, if possible, please remove the cup. I no longer want to take it. But he he did, didn't he? And then there's the baptism illustration, which illustrates what we are immersed in as followers of Jesus. And if you're going to be a key leader, that you're going to be immersed in some pretty heavy-duty things. And I love their, I just love their enthusiasm. Verse 39. And they said to him, we are able. Man, I love that. I love, bring it, Jesus. I think I spit on you, I'm sorry. Bring it. Bring it. This whole experience demands me, or it reminds me of what it must have been like when those troop carriers were approaching Omaha Beach on D-Day, 1945, with thousands of fresh-faced American boys with 13 weeks of basic training, carrying their M1 Garland rifle and hopping out of that, into the, onto the beach, and bullets are whizzing over their heads, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, can you imagine what it'd been like? Like, you're in that carrier, and all the way across the ocean, you're, you're ginning up enough courage to run out of that carrier, 
and you're thinking, we're going to defeat the fascists, and we're going to drive them into the Rhine River. And I wonder, as the landing craft approached, and that door swung open, and the ammo is flying over their heads, and some of it's finding its mark, and they run out into the beach, and there's 2,400 of their comrades that are lying dead or wounded at their feet, and the, and the water around them is red from blood, and they're being mowed down by the Reichmark 357 Division with their FG-42s and 88s, and their Schrappermine 35 landmines, I wonder how many of them thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I didn't sign up for this. And I think Jesus knew. He's just, he just knew this, boys, boys, this will be a bloody battle. And it will cost you. It's a cup and it's a baptism, friends. And that's all I can tell you about it because you don't understand Dr. A.B. Bruce, the 18th century Scottish theologian, said, if crosses would leave us alone, we would leave them alone too. Crosses are handed to us, usually not chosen. He's the only one that chose one. Not mine to give, he said, for whom it's prepared, he said. That's what he says. You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized too. But to sit on my right hand, on my left, is not mine to give. It's for those for whom it's prepared. And they were being prepared, friends, being prepared. And probably you are too. Turns out, Acts chapter 22 says that James, one of those two fresh-faced young men, his head was removed by a tyrant named Herod because of Jesus' name and because of his calling and following. He drank a cup, and he was immersed. And John, his brother, he was like the bookend of, of, uh, uh, of persecution, like James I, John the last. They say that John was possibly boiled in oil. That's how he died, for the cause of Jesus. Now, they weren't the only ones that wanted special things. The others heard about this, verse 41. When they heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. And there's no surprise there because they're probably ticked off they didn't get there first more than anything. But here's another question for you in this. Do you find yourself bitter or angry about your placement in life and circumstances? You know, you look around, you go, man, what, why do they get that and I don't get it? What is it about me that puts me in the dirt while they get all the exaltation? That can happen in the church, friends. It can. Because we're a community of people. And Jesus, the brilliant and perceptive God on earth, says, and he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't play politics. He doesn't give special favors. He doesn't honor brown nosers and political power grabbers. He doesn't run his kingdom like a hierarchy of favors. There's this beautiful teaching he gives for the church, and it's right here. It's probably the most important teaching that the church, as we act and how we behave, ever learns. This development, and here's what he says. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
It wasn't setting a manifesto for how Jerusalem and Rome and Washington and Wall Street, how they operate. That's not what he's doing here. He's comparing his methods with the methods the world offers. The Greco-Roman world of his day, more specifically. And the fact is, our lives are full of non-believers who rule the Roman way. And we're not going to change that by and large. Just realize this. Until he returns, there are going to be tyrants and despots and selfish people who will get lots of power, lots of preeminence, and they'll do things their way and we'll be left in the dust and we'll be left serving them. That's the way the world works. That's the way of the Gentiles of his day. Rivalry, competition, politicking, conniving, maneuvering, manipulating, undercutting. That's the world. And he's just making this point. That's not us. That's not us. But it, here's, take nothing from this except this if you're going to take nothing else. But it shall not be so among you. That's you, that's me. The church will not be that way. There's one king and there's a body. There's a head, there's a body. There's a king, there's the subjects. That's the way it works. That's the levels. King, us. I mean, there's only one primary personality in the church. Only one. There's no man's name on this church. Well, there's a man's, God's name, Jesus Christ, Christian, that, that name's here. No pope, no franchised power figure who writes books and gets podcasts and does all the speaking engagements. Jesus is the head of the church. Everyone else is a serving member of that body. That's the way he set it up over and over again. That's the way he wants us to see it. One head, Jesus is God. One body, his people. And so... Jesus rejects the world's demand, I want you to do whatever I ask. And instead, he flips it on its head and he shows us himself. Here's the question. What do you want me to do for you? That's what a servant does. Here's what he says. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's amazing. And even today it's radical. I mean, is it not? I mean, we're going to go into a, what we're in this country, we're in endless political seasons, right? So this fall there'll be another election and this fall we'll hear it all over the place, all the time. Give me power and I'll serve you. And then it seems like when the power is given, what happens? It's like, okay, serve me. It's true in, in, in places, if sometimes places of work, where someone has power and the rest serve. At least that's the way it seems. The ultimate example of the servant is the one who has the complete right to expect it from us and yet turns it on its head and says, let me do it for you. 
Because the one who gave up everything to meet our needs is none other than Jesus. I think there's a strange fallacy in the American church and in Christianity in general, especially in, in uh, Western Christianity, that believes that Jesus' mission was to make us happy, to make us richer, and to give us more power. And it is not true. Jesus didn't come to smooth out your life. He didn't come to offer you more personal success and fulfillment that all your dreams might come true. The leadership position of Jesus took the role of a servant, and if you remember this happens later in his ministry, he will go to his knees and he'll have a, 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 a basin of water and a towel, and this is the night before he goes to a cross, and he washes the filthy feet of these same disciples. And he says, friends, this is the way we do it here. We serve. The one who had every right Every opportunity to take all the authority becomes the one who gives up everything to meet our needs. And that's what he did. He became the suffering servant of mankind. And he drank a cup. And he became immersed in something horrific so that we could be immersed in something very beautiful, something totally wonderful, and that is hope and new life. We're going to commune. I want to come back and finish up this message with a, a further question for you. Lord, as we take this cup, we don't just take this cup because you, you took a cup and the cup of, cup of wrath was poured out on you. Although, that's the stimulus behind everything that's happening now. We take this cup because we're accepting the cup. Because we're saying to you by taking this cup, I'm following you. I'm following your way, not the world's way. And so, Lord, we take this cup. Your body broken, this cup, this cup, remembering a new covenant, a new way, the way of Jesus. I'm back here listening to you guys sing, and I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's very reminiscent when we praise God like this of how it must have been for James and John you know, to step up and have the courage to say, Jesus, give us a place, you know, praise you. You know, that was their heart. They proved it. Nothing wrong with those guys. I wish I could be more like those guys. But it's one thing to sing the song. It's another thing to be boiled in oil. <laughs> it's another thing to be decapitated for his name. And I'm not saying, hey, look, I'm not a prophet. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to require of you or me. I just know that his way is to serve. And that's an everyday thing, you know? Like, like that statement I, that he says to, to his disciples, to us, let it not be so with you, like the world's way of doing it doing leadership, doing authority, doing proximity, doing power, doing prestige. Let it not be so with you that you're just a consumer of a kingdom. Consumers think the church exists to elevate them, to position them, to coddle them, to come to them. Instead, let it be said, oh, you served. 
You gave. You, you got it. Thank you, Lord, for letting it not be so with you that you're not employing God's gifts and utilizing the things he's put in your hands to bless his kingdom and his righteousness, putting him on the throne. I open the message today with a question. If you could ask God to do anything for you today, what would you ask? That's not a bad question. But here's the question of the day. Right now, if God were to ask anything of you, what would it be? If he were to ask anything from you, what would it be? You probably know. Let it be said of you, of me, of us, that we're always that church that will say, God, what do you want us to do? That we'll continue to go to our knees and say, God, what's the next thing you want from us? Our king. Because it's more than a prayer and it's more than a slogan. It's the best way to live. It's the only way to live. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10.15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.